Greetings, greetings once again, to all my enemies, and all my friends. It is the Weekly Worldview, and I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Welcome back. It's the show where we don't take calls, we don't tolerate sponsors, but we do help we just try to help, that's all. I don't want to put too fine a point on We're just trying to help. Trying to help you get it through it all. We've got an update. We've got an update on a, a story we did quite some time back. I believe it was, it was last year, last summer maybe, last fall. Well, according to Slay News, a Quebec na- man named Brian Pade has pleaded guilty to starting all those fires that almost all the media blamed on climate change. We did the story when they arrested him because we had a feeling they had their man, and it turns out they did. He pled guilty to 13 counts of arson and, just for good measure, one count of arson with disregard for human life. Which begs the question, is there arson with concern for human life? Maybe that's only if you're trying to burn someone to death on purpose then it would be considered arson with regard for human life. So uh, anyway, they had their man. The pyromaniac's arsonist spree began in May and spanned the summer, and he was captured in September of last year up there in Canada. And it wasn't climate change. It uh, It wasn't imperialism. Or capitalism, it turns out it was a leftist, pyromaniac, crazy person who has been arrested and uh, and he he pled guilty. Probably they made a deal with him. Plead guilty, you'll only have to do a certain amount of time and, and then you'll get a column at the CBC. You'll get to write a column on their, on their website. So there you have it. A little update there. Speaking of updates, we, we spoke last week, uh, well, it was two weeks ago, because I had to get on a plane, I had to go do work and whatnot, and I survived. We'll get back to that. We'll have an update on all that, too. But two weeks ago, or two weekends ago, no, it was only last week. That's right. I didn't take a week off. That's right. Uh, so anyway, as I get a firm grip on reality... Uh, last week we talked about, that's right, it was, uh, it's been now two weeks since the United States started firing back at Iran there in the Red Sea. And I left off last week saying, well, we'll know by next week because if our strikes were effective, we should have relative calm or at least it should take the enemy a week to, to get their dithers together again. But, and so I said, well, no. And so here now we know it's a week later. And uh, a number of U.S. military personnel were injured in a Saturday attack by Iran on Al-Assad Air Base. So you can tell there's a Democrat in the White House because U.S. military personnel are injured as if it was a car. uh, You know, it was a fender bender when what it actually was was missiles, ballistic missiles and rockets landing on their air base. And what happened was U.S. military personnel were wounded by an enemy attack using rockets and missiles. But since there's a Democrat in the White White House, we just say they were injured. Uh-huh. That's right. So that's almost two weeks after America started shooting back. Iran has attacked our air base in, I believe this is in Iraq. That's right. They've attacked our air base in Iraq with rockets and missiles, injuring some. So, and uh, meanwhile, uh, Maersk has issued a warning. Maersk is the, well, one of the largest shipping concerns in the world. And they sent out a memo warning how global shipping is fracturing because of elevated risk in the Red Sea. Stiefel shipping analyst Ben Nolan told clients as of Friday, quote, Red Sea issues are getting worse, not better, unquote. So that's after two weeks of Joe Biden's precision military strikes. So precise, they're designed not to knock out any Iranian assets, oddly enough. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Two weeks of strikes against Iran in Yemen 
has provided for continuous attacks on commercial vessels in the Red Sea. And then Iran had the audacity, late in the week, to announce that Chinese and Russian shipping would not be attacked. So just talk about just... The, just anyway. So it's been a pretty embarrassing week for the, the world's only superpower. Basically being laughed at and embarrassed by a bunch of uh, 7th century degenerate maniacs who, who somehow seized power there in Persia in the late 1970s. Oh, I remember why. Because we were afraid. That's why. All right. Now, I said I got on an airplane. I was nervous. I talked about it. I know. Maybe it's, it's probably unreasonable to be concerned about my plane crashing because the odds of my plane crashing are... I, I don't know, like similar to uh, catching some contagion that would kill me. It's, it's pretty slim. Even if there's an epidemic, your chances of actually dying of the contagion are pretty slim. So even if there's an epidemic of transgender DEI quota hires in the maintenance facility, in the cockpit, in the controller's chair, even, even if there is a, 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 an epidemic since, uh, since the late 2010s, then my chances of my actual plane crashing are pretty slim. So maybe it's unreasonable. But listen to this. It's, it's even in the military where you've got the DEI quota hires. They'll, they'll basically take anyone in the military now. Pretty much. Well, and, and, and this is, uh, is this uh, the Air Force? Let's see here. A flashlight. <laughs> so they never would always take people in the Air Force. You had to at least have, I don't know, you had to be good at school, I think. But now, and the Air Force, the Air Force was full of homos back when I was in the military, and that's 30 years ago. I can't imagine what's going on in the Air Force these days. I mean, forget about the Navy. We've always known about the Navy, but the Air Force. So anyway, uh, a flashlight was mistakenly left in the engine of an F-35 fighter jet. This happened back in March. It's only come out now because that's the way things are in the military. Uh, anyway, the, the, the flashlight mistakenly left in the engine was sucked into the engine, causing $14 million in damage. Yada, yada, yada. It just came out today, and we hope nobody notices. Please move along. This happened during routine maintenance out at Lake Air Force Base outside Glendale, Arizona. Or is that California? Well, it happened out west there where all the recruits are homos. And not all that bright, and probably potheads. This is this seems like a pothead thing, <laughs> dude. Where's my flashlight? <laughs> the engine blow bursts into flames, spewing out. Just embarrassing. So, uh, oh, and also uh, DEI Zero Hedge is reported. Uh, despite the fact that I survived another flight in the area of DEI hiring, the Federal Aviation Administration which uh, Zero Hedge reminds us is overseen by Pete Buttigieg, who's a queer pretending he's married to another guy most of the time, but then he's also in charge of the nation's transportation department, which that fortunately that means he has very little to do with actual transportation. He's just a part of the government's largest bureaucracy that pretends it controls transportation. And thankfully it's mostly pretend or we would all be in deep trouble. The uh, Pete Buttigieg's Transportation Department rolled out a new diversity and inclusion program. That's right. Uh, the, the, the Federal Aviation Administration, the Transportation Department, and all of those who pretend that they have a hand in, in transportation, they're going to now be hiring people with targeted disabilities. That's right. They're going to they're gonna try to recruit people with what they call targeted disabilities. These are disabilities that the government targets to hire people with these disabilities so they can feel better about themselves because they know they're a bunch of overpaid, useless, generally annoying people. <laughs> and so they want to feel better about themselves by hiring people with targeted disabilities. Here are the targeted disabilities that they're looking for. Uh, hearing loss, vision loss, missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability, 
psychiatric disability and dwarfism, just for whatever reason, they threw dwarfism in there at the end. So, so that's the uh, Federal Aviation Administration's diversity, equity, and inclusion hiring profile. They say diversity, including targeted disabilities, the hiring of persons with targeted disabilities, is integral to achieving FAA's mission of ensuring safe and efficient travel across our nation and beyond. That's right. What, so what, what is, uh, what is uh, integral to achieving the mission? Hiring people with hearing and vision loss. Hey, so here's the thing. I got nothing against anyone with the hearing loss, vision loss. If you're missing extremities, that's, I, I have nothing against you. I don't want you flying my plane. That's all. So I don't want me flying my plane. I think I'm unqualified. I have all my extremities, but I wouldn't want me flying my plane. I wouldn't want me in the bureaucracy pretending to have anything to do with flying my plane. And so, but, and, and so thankfully, the FAA doesn't hire people to fly planes. That's, or, or, and, and, and they don't actually hire air traffic control. Actually, they might hire air traffic controllers. I'll have to look into that. Because air, air traffic controllers, they're not just pretending to have something to do with transportation. They, uh, so uh, uh, we'll have to look into just who Mr. Buttigieg thinks he's hiring. Going, going for the severe intellectual disability and psychiatric disability crowd. In addition to the missing extremities, hearing loss, vision loss. Okay, so there you have it. If, if, you're, if you're traveling some, sometime in the not-too-distant future, uh, what's the old saying? Travel safe! <laughs> Right. That used to be just <laughs> so that wasn't wasn't something we said seriously, because how do you travel safe? I mean, unless you're flying your own plane. Right. It was just a platitude. It was a it was a way of saying farewell. Travel safe. Now it's like travel safe. I'm actually pretty worried about you, man. OK, so there we have that. But I did survive. Had a relatively. uh, uh I had a relatively uneventful flight, although I, I do have to say that uh, last week I think I said that when I look in the cockpit, I want to see an older white guy with a little, with a little gray in his hair. So on, on, my, on my one flight, it was, a, it was an older black guy, and it, the, the salt and pepper in his hair actually stood out better, made me feel even more secure. I felt better about the fact that he was flying my plane because I could see the gray a little bit more clearly. So it's, it's certainly not a race thing. It's, it's a competence and experience thing. <laughs> okay, so uh, now we go to the Let God Be True file. That's right. Let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, do, who remembers 2 Kings 12, 17? Well, in, in 2 Kings 12, 17, there in the Bible, there's a short summary of a battle against the city of Gath. That's right. King Hazael of Syria is said to have went up against and fought against Gath and taken it. That's in uh, 2 Kings 12, 17. And um, now scholars had doubted this ever happened. Why? Because they always doubt anything in the Bible ever happened. Why would you doubt anyway? But they did. They doubted it. Uh, certain scholars doubted that Gath had actually been overtaken, uh, even though they had a bunch of bricks from Gath that looked like they had burned, which that's what happened to cities back then when, when King Hazael of Syria took your city. He burned it with fire, according to the Bible. Burned it with fire. Well, these scholars argued that these bricks, these were just pre-fired before the construction of the city, and it's not that the city actually tumbled down and was burned by Hazael, as the Bible said. Well, new scholars employed a novel approach to identify the burnt materials found in the excavations there and were able to estimate their firing temperatures based on electromagnetic measurements that are too difficult for me to understand. But uh, because they were able to employ this new method, it turns out, uh, let's see here, by applying thermal demagnetization to the bricks of gath, the authors concluded that the bricks showed evidence of firing temperatures far beyond kiln 
firing. No, this had to, this was more like a conflagration rather than a kiln. And so the the scholars conclude that what happened to these bricks is actually con- consistent with the Bible's account of Hazael overtaking Gath and burning it with fire. That's right. And then the author here, Ed, this is from harbingersdaily.com. I don't know how reliable Harbinger's Daily is, but the links to the science looked pretty good. And, of course, we know that Second Kings is a perfect historical document. And I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Thank you for sticking with us there. There's a little bit of Syrian history from the, from the Book of Kings there. Not surprised that yet again the archaeologist Spade has confirmed the Bible. The author here at Harbinger's Daily, by the way, says, When it comes to archaeology, researchers should always start with the Bible's eyewitness account of history and operate from there. And, and the fact is, they, they actually almost always do. Even, even secular atheists or, or uh, hardcore Jewish scholars and, and archaeologists, they still look at the Bible. In spite of their disbelief, they know that the Bible has proven itself reliable time after time after time after time over the decades and the centuries and uh, millennium and millennia even, more than one. And so they do. And so there you go. All right. Now, meanwhile... We go to the, uh, speaking of the Bible, we go to the death penalty file where we check in with Snoop Dogg, believe it or not, a story related to the Bible, the death penalty, and Snoop Dogg. How do we put that together? Well, Snoop Dogg's 24-year-old daughter has suffered a severe stroke at the age of 24. Yeah, a Snoop Dogg's daughter revealed her traumatic medical emergency on social media. And posted images. So how severe of a stroke was this? I mean, I would think if I had a severe stroke, I wouldn't be posting about it on social media. So how about she had a stroke? Now, that's possible, right? Um, So she posted images of herself lying in a hospital bed on social media after uh, what uh, the Daily Caller reports as a severe stroke. Oh, she said it was severe. So uh, uh, under the post there on social media, Snoop Dogg's daughter put a caption, I'm only 24. What did I do in my past to deserve all of this? Unquote. Which, so you're a 24-year-old, you have a stroke. And um, in America today, naturally, the first thing you do is think of yourself and who to blame. And, and, And here's the thing. A solid Christian minister could explain to Snoop Dogg's daughter, Corey, a good, solid Christian minister could explain to Corey exactly what it is, young lady, at just 24, that you've already done in your past to deserve all of this. That's right. A good, solid Christian minister could take Corey Snoop Dogg aside, although I don't think her last name is Snoop Dogg. Well, I guess it would be Dog. Would it be Dog? Corey Dog? No, it's her. He goes by his. Uh, uh, she goes by his real name, uh, Corey. Uh, uh, Corey Brodus. Yes. Uh, sorry. So a good, solid Christian minister would take her aside and explain. Yes, young lady, at just twenty-four, you've already committed sins worthy of death. Forget just a stroke. Forget just a stroke that you're still able to post on social media about. I mean, that's. It's not a good thing, but it's not death. And actually, what you deserve, Corey, is death. And you should thank God for this wake-up call this early in life so that you can understand that you're actually worthy of death. And, and you're going to need help. You're going to need to solve that, inequ- that inequity in your life. Now, what are the odds, folks, 
that Snoop Dogg has created an environment around his daughter by, by which his daughter would stand a good chance of hearing the truth. What are the odds that Snoop has created an environment that would invite his daughter to hear the truth that she's deserving of death like all people? By, by the way, look around. Have you noticed everybody's dying? Not just some people and not just the really jerk people, but everyone. So has Snoop Dogg ever called his daughter's attention to the fact that everyone is dying? Or has Snoop Dogg spent his life assiduously avoiding the topic that everyone is dying? And so what are the odds that Snoop Dogg's daughter might hear the truth? That she's worthy of death, but that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to suffer a sacrificial death for her sins, and that if she'll just believe in that, believe in him, believe in his finished work, that uh, she'll be saved. What are the odds Snoop has built an environment that would uh, allow that? In? Anyway, the odds are not very good. But thankfully, God is more powerful than Snoop Dogg. That's right. And God doesn't even have an agent in the biz. He doesn't even know anyone at Death Row Records or nothing like that. Uh, but he's much more powerful than Snoop Dogg. And that's why Corey Brodus, 24-year-old daughter of Snoop Dogg, if she were to die of a stroke tomorrow she would stand before the living God without excuse. That's right. And, and So it wouldn't matter that Snoop was her daddy and Snoop never preached the gospel to her. God has the ability to reach every single person, no matter what kind of defense mechanism and system. Even who was the guy I saw, a blithering idiot that I saw on a video earlier today. Whoa, the, the, I, I saw the son of George Soros. Alex Soros. Folks, if you get a chance, there's a video that just says Alex Soros makes no sense for two minutes. And so the, here's the kid who's inherited, I don't know how many billions of dollars, he's got thousands of people working for him, hundreds of thousands of minions under his control at any given moment. This guy could not make any sense for two straight minutes. All I could think of was this guy's got to be like really hungover or or on drugs. I, it was just really embarrassing. But here's the thing. Even Alex Soros, the daughter of, uh, or the daughter of Snoop Dogg, they've grown up in an environment that was designed to keep them from knowing the truth. Yet, if they die, they're going to stand before God with no excuse because God gets through to every single person. Every single person knows there's a God and every single person makes that choice to reject or to accept the offer of salvation from God. And so uh, even Snoop Dogg's daughter, so, okay, I think I've, I've said all I can say on that. And, and we hope she's okay. That's, it's sad for someone at, at 24 to have a stroke. I, if that happened to my daughter, I would be in shock. It would be devastating. And so, to Calvin, we feel for you, brother. Calvin is Snoop Dogg. Oh. Yeah, Snoop. Calvin Brodus is his. So when people write him checks, they don't write the checks to Snoop Dogg. They, <laughs> they write him to Calvin Brodus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so Calvin, we feel for you, brother. And uh, but but you don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of your daughter dying. Well, you should be afraid right now because, I mean, you're going straight to hell with jet rockets because God's extremely angry at you for corrupting the morals of a generation and all the horrible things you've done, Snoop. Uh, but there is hope, even for you, I, 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 even for Alex uh, Soros, there's hope. Uh, if Alex Soros can comprehend uh, the gospel, which if you watch that video, it, it doesn't seem like he might be, he might not be able to comprehend uh, just common uh, English phrases. It was embarrassing to think. Anyway, but you know, out there at the, he was at the World Economic Forum conference in Davos, Switzerland. And there's no doubt that everyone there is up very late, drinking a lot, taking lots of drugs. And so sometimes you're up there on stage and you can just tell. It's like that you should have went to bed last night, man. Didn't you know that? Didn't you know the cameras are going to be on today? All right. So that that takes care of uh, uh, the gospel. We try to preach the gospel at least once in every show, at least once in everything we do, at least once a day. Uh, speaking of needing the gospel, we go to the justice file.
where the entire hierarchy of the L.A. Innocence Project uh, has yet condemned themselves to an even hotter and deeper part of hell. Everyone at the L.A. Innocence Project was already on their way straight to hell with jet rockets. And this past week, they've done something to make those rockets go a little bit faster, take them a little deeper into hell, and provide a little bit more scalding, torturous heat for all of eternity as they spend it in damnation. That's right. The, the L.A. Innocence Project has taken up the case of convicted wife killer Scott Peterson. That's right. Now, just in case anyone ever doubted my assessment of the Innocence Project, and if you've listened to the show over the years, you know that I've done numerous stories on the Innocence Project, and I've done numerous stories on the people that they've sprung from prison who I think are actually guilty. But these filthy, devious lawyers, they muddy the waters enough so that you can't really tell because it's always 20 years later and there's this missing and that. And, 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 they, and they get these guys out of jail and the, and the banner headline is innocent man freed. And then you read the story. You're like, well, how do we know he was innocent? They sure as heck didn't find the guy who did it. They just confused everybody about whether or not this guy did it. And now they think they can do that with Scott Peterson. Why? Because they're getting even bolder. Because the, the, the society and the just uh, system are so corrupt that these filthy, devious lawyers think that they probably, have, they probably have like a backroom bet. Like, you know what? I bet we could even get Scott Peterson off. Oh, no way. Not Scott Peterson. I'll bet you we can. And so, and so here, here it is, right? And so the, the Innocence Project is nothing but a, a pile of wicked lawyers entertaining themselves by springing the guilty. That's, that's their gig. It's like, how big of a thumb can we put in the eye of justice while laughing and mocking and, and heading to the bar to slap each other on the back at the end of every day? And so they've taken up the case of Scott Peterson, who quite obviously murdered his wife and his unborn child. By drowning them in the, drowning them in the Pacific Ocean, uh, the the pile of lawyers at L.A. Innocence Project claim Scott Peterson's constitutional rights were violated. Hey, that's only the first claim. Also, we are going to file a claim of actual innocence. Hey, the actual innocence. Which is there any other kind of innocence? Why why do you have to put the word actual? It's because we're lawyers, and we're going to argue about the fact that it's actual, or is it existential? Is it, what, is, is it ethereal? No, actual. We're going to argue for actual innocence. Okay, so they're going to make that filing. They're going to file other things. They say there are many questions. They have questions into who abducted and killed Lacey and Connor Peterson. Uh-huh. And they're going to ask them in court. For the better part of, oh, two months, six months, nine months. Until everyone's bamboozled and confused and nobody can remember how obvious it was that Scott Peterson murdered his wife and his unborn child. Uh, the, the, the attorneys are seeking dozens of items, by the way, that they say can no longer be located. There are items related to the trial that can no longer be located, so we don't know if they even existed and the whole trial might have just been... It might have just been all mirrors, and Scott Peterson was obviously framed. We can't even find all of these items that are missing after 20 years. Oh, and they say that these items, they're related to the, how the case was handled by his prior counsel. Oh, so they'll throw his prior counsel under the bus big time. That, they do that every time. The director of the L.A. Innocence Project said, by the way, she found deficiencies reviewing discovery and will be seeking informal production of numerous specific items of post-conviction uh, discovery. And the more numerous the items, the better. Because all the better for confusing and bamboozling all you people while we entertain ourselves by trying to spring the guiltiest man in the history of American jurisprudence. Scott Peterson should have been executed. That way none of this embarrassment would be happening. And I, I just want to say... Don't worry about Scott Peterson one way or another because God has an innocence project that never convicts the innocent and never springs the guilty. 
It's the Weekly Worldview, and I am your host, Doug McBurney. That's that stuff they'll be playing for Scott Peterson there when he arrives. Huh? That's right. It'll be painful. Like like hacksaw blades through the through the eardrums. For all of eternity, Scott, and all of you lowlifes at the LA Innocence Project who will be two or three circles of hell below Scott Peterson. I mean, after all, Scott Peterson only murdered his wife and unborn child, not not even in the same league with you people. Uh, from outrageous, ludicrous, ridiculous justice, we go from there over to the science, really, file, where LiveScience.com is reporting, with a straight face, by the way, that the James Webb Telescope has spotted the oldest black hole ever seen. Dun, dun, dun! <gasps> the oldest ever seen? Wow! Now, what they don't say is that no one's ever actually seen a black hole. <laughs> We've never seen one. None, none have ever been seen. So if you ever saw one, by definition, it would be the oldest. But uh, they, that's not what they're implying, and, and we all know that. They say that this black hole has a mass of 1.6 million suns lurking 13 billion years in the universe's past. In the past, I thought if you saw something, you would you would place it in a physical space, not in time. Oh, that's because this is all bohunk is what it is. It's yeah. Uh, so uh, so we've never seen a black hole, but suddenly we've seen the oldest one. They can tell us how big it is. They can tell us how long ago it was. And uh, the telescope, they say, spotted the black hole at the center of the infant galaxy GNZ-11 just 440 million years after the universe began. And you're not allowed to ask any questions about how is it that we're looking back in time exactly? What's the, what's the metric here? How do we know? No, trust us, we know, son. Uh, because, listen, they go on in the article here, and this is LiveScience.com, by the way. I mean, it's not Second Kings, but it's right up there. They say that this black hole, this is one of countless black holes that gorge themselves to terrifying scales during the cosmic dawn. What's the cosmic dawn? What You don't know what the cosmic dawn is? What, have you never been to college? It's the first 100 million years after the Big Bang. That we know about because we know the Big Bang happened even though we have no idea. And there's a mountain of evidence that the Big Bang could not have happened in any way like we say it happened. But for the, for the, for the purposes of this article, we're going to say it as if it happened and we're going to keep a straight face because that's the secret. <laughs> that's right. We're going to talk about the first 100 million years after the Big Bang as if we know them because that will intimidate everyone into shutting up and not asking and not revealing the fact that we don't actually know anything about anything about 100 million years ago. Uh, in fact, listen to this. How the cosmic whirlpools, that's what they call the black holes, just to distract you with a little flowery language. How the cosmic whirlpools ballooned so rapidly after the universe began isn't clear. Isn't clear? How can you say anything's not clear? You've spent this entire article saying things as if the, you took them right out of Second Kings. As if they're undisputable. As if they're reliable as the Bible when it comes to archaeology. Now you're going to say something isn't clear? Huh. And then they go on. It's, it, it isn't clear, but looking for an answer could help explain today's Supermassive black holes. See, they jump right back on there, start saying things as if they know. Like all those supermassive black holes that we know are there today that we've never seen, not one of them ever. But we're going to say it like it's real. And uh, All right. So, I have not been convinced, in case you... I have not been convinced that black holes exist at all. That, I'm not saying they don't. I don't know. I am, I am not convinced that they exist at all. Uh, what I am convinced of is that black holes are a theoretical construct of B 
Big Bang cosmology, which is obviously wrong, ludicrous, ridiculous, and impossible on its face. So color me doubtful, that's all. If, if, the, if the underlying theory wasn't so hopelessly ridiculous, then I might, I might be more open to the possibility of black holes, but because the entire edifice is so laughably ridiculous, just color me skeptical that any exist, not even one, I don't think not even one. But, but your average internet consumer, your average millennial, your average Gen Z, your average Gen X, your average baby boomer, college professor, they read this article... And they take all of this as if it's gospel, even though right in the middle of it, they say it isn't clear <laughs> and it could help. That's their way of subtly admitting that they actually don't know anything. The first three paragraphs and the last five paragraphs, in the very middle, it says it's not clear. We can't cut out because we don't actually know. All right. So there you go. That's uh, speaking of uh, <clears throat> that was, of course, from the science really file. And uh, and now we're going to delve into uh, this is somewhat. Well, it's not scientific. It's anti-science. And, and, and so the culture right now is in a spasm of anti-scientific cultural uh, I, I don't, I, I, regurgitation of, of bile. That's what's happening right now throughout culture with the whole, the, the, the whole gender obsession. Who was I listening to? I was listening to a conservative. I can't remember who. Oh, it was a minister, a minister who I appreciate his Bible teaching. And he stopped in the middle and he said, there's only two genders. And if you don't think so, you're mentally deranged. And, and I agree. But the thing is, there aren't any genders. There, there's only two sexes. Gender is a grammatical term. And, and what we, even, even those of us who understand that this is all insane, what many of us don't understand is that as soon as you give them the language, you've lost the war. To even argue that gender has anything to do with sex, that was when we lost and that was 30 years ago. That was when you could tell we were going to lose this argument. When we let them take gender out of the grammar textbook into the biology lab. That was when we were doomed to failure. There are, there are a number of different genders in grammar, but there are only two sexes in biology. All right, but meanwhile, let's go to Colorado Springs to Club Q. Club Q, a frontline battle in the gender... Uh, conflagration that's happening now why would you say that it's a it's a gay bar in Colorado Springs where a guy walked in and he started shooting he killed five people and wounded 40 they say they were injured but when you're shot with an AK-47 trust me you're wounded you're not in, you're not injured uh, so this maniac walked into Club Q in Colorado Springs uh, killed five people wounded 40 and he's already pled guilty and, and reached a deal with the state of Colorado so that he won't be executed. But he'll stay in prison for, let's see here, uh, I think it's, it's like a 190-year oh, sentence. And so we'll get to that. But, but now, here, here's the thing. The feds came down over the past few months and they charged this maniac with 50 federal hate crimes. That's right. The state, the, the federal government is implying that he hated all these people that he shot, which yeah, it's not a stretch that he hated those people. But they're going to make a federal case out of it. Why? I don't really know why, because they brought these 50 federal hate charge. Uh, I'm sorry, 50 federal hate crimes charges against the maniac killer, who, by the way, is a self-declared non-binary person. And uses they, them pronouns. So now how, now can we, are we going to assume that he hated all those people in the gay bar? Because, I mean, he, he floats that way at least part of the time. He's non-binary, whatever that means. That means he would certainly feel more comfortable at Club Q than, let's say, someone like me. I would feel a bit out of place. 
but he's non-binary. He goes by they, them. It seems like he would fit in at the club queue. But for whatever reason, instead of going there and getting drunk and, and picking someone up like most of the homos, uh, he walked in with AK-47, started shooting and killing people for for whatever reason. Um, so anyway, he was uh, he was sentenced to life back in uh, June without even the slightest notice of irony on the part of anyone but me, by the way, I reported on this, that the guy was sentenced to life for killing all those people, which is ironic. And, and it's, it's disturbingly ironic, and everyone should be disturbed that he was sentenced to life, but no one's allowed to even point out that it's ironic, except here on this show. Well, last summer, that's right, you remember, he pled guilty to five counts of murder, four to six counts of attempted murder, uh, well, now on January 9th, the Federal Department of Justice reached a plea agreement <clears throat> under which the maniac, non-binary, they-them killer will not face the death penalty in exchange for pleading guilty. And well, I guess that saves the government some time and money. And so for that, they're willing to let this deviant maniac pervert uh, keep his life. We have a statement from a statement from the Justice Department. No one in particular says, quote, the United States is not seeking the death penalty in this case. We have agreed that the sentence of 190 years imprisonment is sufficient, but not greater than necessary to achieve the goals of the criminal justice to achieve the goals of criminal justice. That's according to the filing, because nobody was willing to get up and take questions on this. And then the, 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 the authors at the Post-Millennial, which the Post-Millennial pawns itself off as a conservative publication. And the urinalists there closed the article with, The killer was stopped by heroic patrons at the nightclub. And so I just, I read that and I think, can you really call anyone getting drunk at a gay bar heroic? I mean, is, are, can you even be heroic if you're just getting drunk at a gay bar? That... That seems you would be at least one order of magnitude separated from ever doing anything heroic. And for the urinalists at the post-millennial to say heroic is, it just, it rubs me the wrong way, okay? I don't like it, it's distasteful, it's, it's incorrect. The killer at Club Q was stopped killing people by drunken deviants with no other option than to fight or get killed. That's, that's different than a hero. You see, a hero goes into a situation where he knows he might die, but he has the opportunity to do something else. But, so the drunken deviants at Club Q, they just happen to have no other choice. And they're drunken deviants. They're not heroes. It's the Weekly Worldview. That's right, and I'm your host, Doug McBurney. Yep, yep, we're, we're coming back now. I know. you're. So the, I'm the only person in, in the world who would say that about the deviants at Club Q who stopped the maniac. Well, welcome to reality, because that's reality. All right. Now, we come to, do I want to do this uh, make... This is from the Make Life a Right Again. So everyone's got the Make Something Something Again, right? From uh, Donald Trump's, his Make America Great Again hat, right? And so the one of the funniest ones I've seen is uh, Make Gas Cans Pour Again. <laughs> that was, without a doubt, one of the greatest. If you've ever, with a modern gas can, tried to put gas in your car. Anyway, that's the best Make Something Something Again I've seen. Um, but now we're going to move into something a little more serious. Make life a right again. Right? And so that's no laughing matter because now in the post-Roe era, the right to life has been shelved by the pro-life movement. The, the one thing that the pro-life movement has, has agreed to completely abandon is the right to life. That's how we won. Huh? Think about that one. Let that one roll around in your brain housing group for a little while. It'll give you a headache. That's right. 
So make life a right again. From that file, we go to the Daily Signal, where thousands of members of the pro-life movement were told gathered this past weekend in Washington, D.C., for the 51st annual March for Life. That's right. They were celebrating 50 years of hard work that resulted in Roe versus Wade being overturned in 2022. Now, the Daily Signal goes on to report that since Roe v. Wade was overturned, every single pro-life ballot measure has failed. Shocking, right? After we're winning so bigly, we're winning so smashingly bigly, how is it that all of our measures could be failing? What's going on? The, the Daily Signal goes on, even in largely conservative states such as Montana and Kentucky, measures intended to protect the unborn have been voted down. Hmm. I've, I've got a quote from Senator Mark Rubio. Marco Rubio, I'm sorry. He's a little ethnic flair there. Not just Mark. That'd be kind of boring. Marco. Uh, Marco Rubio says the pro-life side has lost seven out of the past seven ballot initiatives, a perfect record of failure. Yeah, that, and, and, and Marco Rubio was discussing his plan. He's got a plan for how the Republican Party can turn the tide on abortion. Turn the tide on abortion, says Marco Rubio. That, and, and so what, what, what does he mean? Does he mean he's going to make life a right again? Or he's going to try to actually fight for the right to life? So I don't really know what Marco Rubio means because when it said he was discussing his plan, I stopped reading because I've already, I've known Marco Rubio for 20 years. I know he doesn't have a plan. I already know. He's one of the reasons we lost. He's one of the guys who said, let's give up on the right to life and we'll win the battle. And so here's what's happening. Why are so-called pro-life ballot initiatives failing? It's because they're not pro-life. And here's the thing. If they were actually pro-life, they might fail anyways. That's, but that's beside the point. Because the pro-life movement abandoned the right to life, no one takes any of your efforts to make sure that only some babies are killed. No one takes that seriously. When you stand up and say, I have pro-life legislation, and it's about how only certain babies are to be killed, nobody takes you seriously. You're not going to win. You don't deserve to win. So you, and by the way, I say how many babies? I could just say, when you're introducing legislation to ensure that only certain people are killed, how are we supposed to take you seriously? You say you're against killing people, but you're... you're, you're you're pitching legislation that, that ensures only certain people are to be killed. Okay, well, forgive me for not taking you seriously. <clears throat> the, pro, the pro-life movement, if you call it that, yeah, I call it some kind of movement, all right. Uh, the pro-life movement, they won a court case, but they lost the war. And bigger than that, for all you pro-lifers out there who are happy that the states now are, are, can, can regulate how and when certain people are killed. You're happy. You think we won. You think you won. So in abandoning the right to life, you failed God. That's the bigger issue. Uh, and, 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 the, and the children who are being killed, that's, that's a serious issue. The mothers who are becoming murderers and the families, the husbands who are all accomplices to the murder of the innocent, that's all a very, very big deal. Bad. It's bad. It's terrible. It's tragic. But the bigger issue is that you're going to face God. The bigger issue for you. The bigger issue for you is you're going to face God, and you're going to have to explain how you thought that overturning Roe versus Wade was the point, and not that all of God's children have a, a, a right to life that's unalienable. You're going to have to explain to God how you got confused about that. And so maybe if you ponder the fact that you're going to have to face God about that, You'll come back over <clears throat> and you'll decide to make life a right again. Or at least to try. Because even if you fail at trying to make life a right again, that's okay because you haven't abandoned the principle. Right now, you're losing and you're unprincipled and you're going to have to face God and he's not going to be pleased with you. So there. Okay, now, 
Uh, we come off of the, uh, the well-regulated environment of murder being supported by people who claim to be conservatives and Christians to the flagrant, blatant, straight-up treason file. That's right. And for the flagrant acts of blatant, outright treason, we're going to go to the Republican National Committee. What? The Republican National Committee? Yeah, that's right. Over the past decade, Republican National Committee chairmen and treasurers have met regularly with officials from the Chinese Communist Party. Well, wait a second. The Republicans, they're not going to be meeting with the communists. Well, they have been. They've been meeting regularly several times a year to discuss campaign strategies and the direction of U.S.-China relations. That's right. This is all, this all evidenced in a decades-long trove of documents released by warroom.org. Is that, is, that is that the guy who used to work for Trump, War Room? Uh, I can't remember his name. The guy who always looks like he just stumbled out of a bar and needs a shower. Steve Bannon. Is that Steve Bannon's outfit? And I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to disparage Steve Bannon. I appreciate some of the things he does, but but he's another uh, libertarian, uh, alleged conservative who's who's lost his way. Following Steve Bannon is not going to lead America into anything to, uh, uh, to great again. I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, uh, but they have discovered to everyone's shock that the Republican National Committee is in bed with the Chinese Communists too. And the, and the Republicans spend all their time telling us how it's the Democrats and the Chinese, and it turns out it's them, too. Um, so yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the war room revealed the identities of several RNC chairmen and treasurers who participated in uh, what, the, what the Chinese call. Let's see, they have a name for this. That's right, because they don't call it the Chinese Communist Party. No, no, that would be. <laughs> no, they don't do that. Now, I mean, you couldn't get the Republican National Committee guys to show up because they'd say, hey, that would look bad. We're, a, we're at a meeting with the Chinese Communist Party. Is, could, that might not look good. So they changed the name of it, and they call it the Political Party Leader Dialogue. There's a China high-level political party dialogue. Uh, and this been around for many, many years, but most significant evolution of the process occurred in 2013. Hmm. We invited sitting a DNC and RNC officer uh, to take part. Now, in the past, we only solicited the former statesmen and former governors and a legislator from a former DNC and RNC. But starting 2013, we asked the sitting DNC and RNC leader to come, and they come. That's right. They uh, meeting. Uh, sorry about that. It was actual audio from the from the chairman of the East West Institute. That's so. If you look at the official logs and the plenary session and the and the flyers and what, who who booked the hotel rooms, it was the East West Institute. And so when you see that, just know that that's the Chinese Communist Party that uh, invited the sitting RNC and DNC officers to talk political strategy and China relations. And so we've been sold out by both parties at the highest levels. We've been sold out to our enemies. And so, and, 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 and that's just uh, the latest. Is anyone shocked that the Republicans are in cahoots with the Chinese? I'm not shocked. I wonder if Steve Bannon was shocked, because I think he still considers himself a Republican. Although maybe not. All right. Now, meanwhile, let's let's uh, we're we're almost running out of time. No, that's you can't say that, right? You're either running out of time or you're not. You can't be almost running out of time. If you're almost running out of time, that means you're not running out of time. So I misspoke. Uh, so and from there we go to reason. But I matriculated in the government schools, and that's going to be my excuse. That's right. Never did so well on grammar. Although I did know what gender was. I did. That was like sixth grade. Uh, different uh, verbs was it verbs had different genders where well, was it adjectives I, I can't see it's been a long time but i knew where gender fit in the whole grammatical argument i was never confused about that but uh having matriculated having matriculated in the government schools i often misspeak so we go to reason number 2047 to get or keep your children out of the government schools 
the bathrooms at a North Carolina medical, middle school. Yeah, what did I say? I said a middle school. Some of the bathrooms at a North Carolina medical, middle I can't say it. Medical school. It's not medical school. It's middle, middle school is, is what it is. It's not even close to medical school. Although, I think the, the state of medicine anymore, they might only require about a middle school functioning level to get through medical school. But this is a North Carolina middle school. Bathrooms there are without mirrors. They've taken the mirrors out of the bathrooms at a North Carolina middle, middle school. Why? Well, they had to remove them because students were making TikTok videos during class time. I, I, I know, I can't even get my brain around it. I was reading this saying, how, can, how does this make any sense? If you're in class, what does it matter if there's a, if there's a mirror in the bathroom? And how are you making a TikTok video during school? I, I, none of it makes any sense to me. But So what, what happened was the students would ask the teacher to be excused from the classroom. Then they would take their phone to the bathroom and filmed themselves in the mirror. So the school administrator's solution was remove the mirrors from the bathrooms. That, that's next. They'll remove the bathrooms. <laughs> it's like a bad George Carlin bit, if for crying out loud. Uh, so they've taken the mirrors out of the bathrooms, and they say that there's been a significant decrease in students asking to be excused. Because they're not able to go and I guess the, the, the mirror must be an important part of making the video. So for whatever reason, if we understood TikTok, we might understand that better. Um, anyway, yes, fewer students are asking to be excused, says a public relations officer. So a middle school has a public relations officer. That right there is a red flag. What is that? That's someone to speak to the media. Oh. Like that's their job. Uh, who has a public relations uh, officer? That would be, let's say, uh, the Hollywood actor has a public relations officer because he's a Hollywood actor. He's going to talk to the... This is a middle school. Uh, this is a public school... Uh, 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 what do they call it? District. A public school district has a public relations officer. Probably specializes in making TikTok reels for... The for the school, I'm sure. Uh, anyway, the public relations officer says, we strive to limit distractions so students can focus on learning. And the distraction they've chosen to limit is a mirror in the bathroom. That's right. Now, you might ask, why don't you tell the kids you're not allowed to bring your phones to school? Or at the beginning of class, you have to lock all your phones in it. Whatever, you take the phone away. No, no, let's take, the, let's take the mirror away. That makes a lot more sense. Um, the school district has also started using a digital hall pass system. Oh, that means the kid has to have his phone so that he can do the digital hall pass, which means he'll be constantly tempted to make TikTok videos and way worse. Anyway, the digital hall pass will allow the school to know where the students are at all times making sure that the students are now prepared for the surveillance state that they'll be living in because none of the adults can comprehend the idea of making it so that people won't do bad things. And so they have to introduce a surveillance state and chain you to your phone and keep you on a radar screen so that we can make it so you can't do anything that we don't want you to do. Uh, is there anything left? Uh, we believe these changes will foster a better learning environment, says the district. The district said that. How does the district say anything? It's because nobody's willing to actually get up on a dais and take any questions about this because it's all fairly embarrassing. Uh, schools are continuing, according to WGN-TV Chicago. Schools are continuing to work to find ways to keep TikTok from distracting from learning. Uh, they've been dealing with incidents of students acting out on TikTok challenges. One of them is called the Slap a Teacher Challenge. So when you read that, you think, well, that could be a problem at school. The Slap a Teacher Challenge. We need to do something to stock that. I know. Let's take the mirrors out of the bathroom. Geniuses. Uh, one in six teens, by the way, 
tells the Pew Research Institute that they use TikTok and YouTube, quote, almost constantly. Uh Uh-huh, of course. If you could sit there and just entertain yourself with stupidity all the time when you're in fifth or sixth grade, how often would you do that? You'd do it almost all the time. I mean, that's what we tried to do when we were in fifth grade. We just didn't have the technology to do it. But had we had it, we would have done it. And and I'm sure that uh, even in the public school that I matriculated in, had we had that ability, the teacher would have taken it away and said, you can't do that. You can't entertain yourself with mindless stupidity in class. But anyway, uh, no one's allowed to stop anyone from doing anything to express themselves. So the, the teachers are all a bunch of deviant communists who worship the idea of self-expression. And so they don't want to stop the kids from entertaining themselves mindlessly with stupidity and pornography. They don't want to stop them because that's the kid self-actualizing. And that's my religion. I worship all that. So there. And so you end up with uh, the, the maintenance guy having to rip the mirror out of the bathroom because everyone's lost their minds. That's right. And reason number 2047 to get or keep your kid out of the government schools, they don't have a mirror in the bathroom because they're insane. It would be different if the mirrors were broken or if they were undergoing some sort of maintenance, but it's not. It's because the teachers and administrators are certifiably insane. And you certainly don't want them raising your kids. Now, okay, so I'm going to do this story. This is the end of days file. The Israeli medical community is preparing for what the Jerusalem Post calls the appalling possibility of female hostages raped in captivity, subsequently becoming pregnant. The Jerusalem Post reports, the Israeli medical community is preparing for pregnant hostages. How are they preparing? Well, gynecologists have held internal discussions in recent weeks about the dreadful possibility that the captives who were raped have been impregnated and have been pregnant now for several weeks. Perhaps most significantly is the profound psychological trauma of a woman carrying a fetus resulting from the brutal rape by a murderous terrorist. And so we have a quote from Professor, the chair and director of the obstetrics and gynecology at Meyer Medical Center in Israel, says, quote, Performing an abortion is a procedure we are all familiar with and skilled in. However... Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're not. They're good at it. Oh, yeah. And they're ready. They're ready for anyone who comes out of captivity and pregnant. They're ready. She says, uh, however, in this case, the challenge the state must now address is the horrific and daunting psychological trauma. A pregnant woman feeling fetal movements and with a visibly growing belly. Naturally, the pregnant woman attaches to the fetus. And so the doctor calls that the horrific and daunting psychological trauma of a woman becoming attached to the child, the innocent child growing inside of her. The doctor in Israel looks at that as a horrifically psychological. And then we have the uh, another professor, the chairman of Israel's Association of Public Health. He explained, quote, the task of terminating an advanced pregnancy becomes increasingly complex and challenging. So the longer they stay captive, the harder and more challenging it's going to be to kill the innocent children. He says, if there's a captive woman who, God forbid, has conceived from rape, it is imperative to bring them home urgently. He wants them home sooner so it'll be easier to kill the innocent child. And look, I'm not going to pretend I can understand what it might be like to be impregnated while you're... I I can't relate to that, but just the mindset... That the innocent child, the one good thing that could come out of all of this horribleness since October 7th, the one good and beautiful, wonderful thing they look at as horrifically... Anyway, and by the way, Israeli law permits abortion up to the moment of birth. So the doctors want to bring home the hostages so the Jewish state can murder the children. It's just so sad.
So it's the end of days file. And that's the end of the show. That's the weekly worldview for this week. Thanks for being here. Should the Lord tarry, we'll return next week. And until then, may the grace of God go with you and may the peace of Jesus Christ be upon you.